Hi, I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 268. I'm your host, a real cosmetic chemist, Perry Romanowski, and with me today is another real cosmetic chemist, Valerie George. Hello, Valerie. Hi, I'm the real Valerie George. The real Valerie George. No, now, nobody has called you George this week, have they? <laughs> Just Not this week. Well, you know, Valerie and I have been a bit busy with work stuff. Um, I actually had been teaching an online course about cosmetics to some industry insiders today. And Valerie, well, her day job always keeps her busy, and her side job uh, also keeps her a bit busy. So, uh, uh, But we didn't want to skip a week. So today we figured that, you know what, let's just answer a, uh, an audio question that was sent in, and it actually turns out that it was a few questions in the one audio question, um, but also, you know, chat about some things that we saw in the news. So today's question we are going to cover is actually a few parts. Uh, it's also a question we've gotten from a few people, so this isn't just like one person's question. It represents questions we get from a lot of people. So today we're going to cover, what's the deal with vitamin C and niacinamide? Is using them together bad? Uh, what's the difference between reactive and sensitive skin? And are the products who disclose their percentages on their bottles better than everybody else? <laughs> There's so much uh, marketing in cosmetics where people pretend they're better than other people, aren't they? Oh, my gosh. I have my soapbox prepared for today. <laughs> I know. I'm looking at you, clean beauty. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. But first, Valerie, our patented uh, – ah, Patton, that was your old last name, wasn't it? <laughs> our patented uh, chit-chat. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you know, not too much going on this week aside from just lots of work. I'm finally back posting about books I've read. Uh, this year so far. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get 52 in this year because oh, I've really? only read three. Um, I've done some audiobooks, though. Hey, I, you know, audio. I think audiobooks count. Do they? I, I think so. I don't post the audiobooks I read on my Instagram, oh. just the physical books that I get from the library. I understand. Um, but I'm, I'm back posting, and, you know, I haven't had a whole lot of time to read this year because you know, starting a business and all, uh, and running it with, uh, Mr. Cosmetic Chemist, <laughs> who is very, a stress, very stressful person. Uh, it just takes a lot of time. So I haven't, but I'm back posting. I posted my first wow. book, Excellent. uh, yesterday, the fabric of civilization. Oh, how was it? Oh, incredible. You know, we take fabric and clothing for granted and it really ran civilization for millennia. Oh, it's about actual fabric. I, I thought it was just a history book. <laughs> No, it's not a it's not a metaphor. It's no, it's like no, literally the, the wow. fabrics that built the world. It's it was very good. It sounds very cool. A book I read in that same vein was Sapiens. Um, if you haven't I think, read, yeah, I think you've talked about that before. Yeah, if you haven't read that one, that's an excellent one. You know, a book I'm reading right now. What are you reading? It's quite a challenge. Uh, Ulysses. Are you still uh, reading that? The James Joyce book. Yeah. Well, it's it's a hard book to read. I and feel like you've been reading it for a while. I've been reading it for about a month, and I have to say this. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I also, for this book, I decided I'm listening to the audiobook while I'm reading the book. So I have the book while I listen. I listen to somebody reading me the book, and I actually really enjoy doing that. 
Is that like the joggling of reading? <laughs> it is. The, it is the. It is kind of the joggling of reading. Uh, Audio books that you read in your head. Hmm. Well, it's a whole new trend. I hope I can start it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, upcoming this month, and I just want to tell listeners so we get it out there and get some time. I am doing a talk for the Professional Beauty Association on behalf of the Beauty Brains and my employer. Oh, sure. And the talk is. What are these 10 ingredients doing in your salon professional products? It's on Monday, June 28th, 11 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And basically, I'm just uh, talking about the 10 most common ingredients you could find uh, in your salon products that you or your stylist, that you're buying from your stylist or that your stylist is using. And then I'm going to do a little Q&A session where people can chat about ingredients, products, hair color, and more. So sign up. It's just 10 bucks to support the Professional Beauty Association, which is an advocacy organization for professionals, whether you're a salon professional or a spa professional, or just another licensed individual in the professional beauty industry. Ah, but not professional baseball players then, right? Yeah. <laughs> It's not the, it's nor that, uh, it's not that, nor the Professional Bowling Association. <laughs> it's not that one either. It's, all right. That sounds very cool. We'll put a link in the show notes. Also, don't forget, for people who are following us on Patreon, or our subscribers, thank you very much. You keep the show going. Uh, we've got a live event coming up June 15th. Check your email for when that's happening. And also, we have a book giveaway. So if you're a patron uh, by the end of June, you would be eligible for of the book giveaway and we will send those books out to anywhere in the world that is the books are the original beauty brains book and our latest can you get uh oh is it's okay to have lead in your lipstick yeah <laughs> those two tomes <laughs> which i actually just referred to one of my friends the other day she's a big fan of the show uh oh. she had uh you know a, a family member contact her and say oh my gosh can you recommend any you know, makeup brands without lead. And I was like, well, actually, uh, you know, she contacted me and I was like, well, first of all, you know, you could detect anything in anything, but really lead shouldn't be in your lipstick at any significant levels. And there's a book uh, by that same title. So exactly, exactly. So we'll check that out. And uh, if you want to be available for the free drawing, go to patreon.com slash the beauty brains and subscribe. How about we uh, move into some science beauty news? Or is it beauty science news? (laughs) It's beauty science news. Perry, things are getting a little tougher for CBD sellers, makers, and basically anyone involved. Well, we've been if you if you've been following the show for any length of time, we uh, will talk about CBD and cosmetics because it's a pretty big trend in the cosmetic industry. Um, but it seems to be uh, waffling a little bit, and uh, maybe some of these new regulations are going to contribute to that. The first story that I saw was that California is prohibiting hemp-derived CBD in cosmetics. Valerie, what is this one all about? Oh gosh, this has been a really big deal. Obviously, because I'm in California. Obviously, <laughs> exactly. I mean, what's what's going on in your state? <laughs> because I work in the personal care industry, and it's like leave it to California to create some crazy regulations. Now, I, I just found this really interesting uh, because, yes, the federal government has in the last couple years loosened guidelines on how CBD can be acquired and what can be done with it. But 
most people don't realize that the regulation of what really can be done happens down at the state level. And basically, California has this Sherman Food and Drug Law that provides that, uh, that says that any food um, can be adulterated if it bears any uh, poisonous or uh, deleterious, which is a legal word I'm probably mispronouncing, uh, substance that may render it injurious to users. Um, And so basically they're saying, you know what, that actually kind of includes uh, CBD and CBD derived from hemp specifically. So uh, while that law includes food, beverages, and you can see a lot of beverages infused with CBD in California and pet food. For sure. You know, which- Oh, even pet food? I have yet to buy pet food for Kukla that contains uh, CBD. But basically, anyway, they're saying uh, that, you know what, uh, we don't even want it um, as an additive in cosmetics, dietary supplements, pet food, uh, beverages, all that kind of stuff, which is really interesting because I feel like a lot of people are already selling these products here. Yeah, they are. That will be a tough one to police. Uh, what I will add also is that isn't uh, recreational marijuana legal in California? It is. Anybody can go to a store and get some. So, so you could get you could eat gummies with uh, CBD in it. You just can't put it on your skin. <laughs> is that what's going on? It seems strange. Yeah. yeah, the whole thing is crazy. And I re- I think this this article really just speaks to that in the United States um, or this. This law really speaks to that in the United States, things are really dynamic still. They're, they're continually evolving, changing. Uh, and so if you're a brand thinking about developing a CBD cosmetic one, you're probably late to the game in an overly saturated market, but uh, you won't really be able to do that moving forward. And I just don't think that's a, something unique to the United States. I think a lot of other countries are having these challenges. Well, speaking of other countries, that brings up the the story that I saw. According to this article, China is banning cannabis cosmetics. uh, So CBD might be trending around the world, but East Asia risks missing out on the buzz. Uh, Very, very clever uh, (laughs) style.com or whatever you are. But uh, basically what was happening here is the regulators in China are saying, hey, uh, CBD in your cosmetics? Uh, yeah, we're not going to allow that. And, uh, that is going to be a big blow to, you know, people who, who thought, you know, China was going to be a big market for their CBD products. So that's another thing, uh, which is going to hamper the growth of CBD in cosmetics. Now, if someone can show some actual cosmetic application of CBD, or there's just a large consumer demand, I think they might get around these regulations, but, Boy, I don't see CBD uh, sticking around uh, for too long if uh, regulations like this keep sticking. Yeah, wow. Well, uh, good thing I didn't make a CBD brand. (laughs) (laughs) That was very forward thinking. Good thing you didn't make a make a talc brand either because i just saw j and j lost their supreme court <laughs> appeal yeah about that their was talc. <laughs> that was one beauty science news article i i was going to bring up we have covered this j and j talc debacle quite a bit and for those of you who don't know the supreme court basically just told j and j in their appeals process yeah you're donezo pay out um <laughs> you don't get to appeal this anymore so i was kind of surprised for that um well i i I think the Supreme Court just said, uh, we don't want to hear the case. 
they didn't rule one way or another which way the case was going to go. So I think J&J still has some appeals left uh, at the state level, state Supreme Courts and that kind of thing. The the Supreme Court just kind of said, oh, we're not going to get involved here. So <laughs> we'll see where that goes. Yeah. There's no way they're even going to win this at the state level. They're they're donezo. To me, that was the message. Um, yeah, no, it's a it's a challenging thing, and also J and J has stopped selling talc products in the United States anyway. So yeah, <laughs> nobody so, makes them. Yeah, it's insane. And I actually was surprised at the. Did you see the legal fees that J and J has already uh, accumulated fighting no, but these I cases? Can, I can imagine they're pretty high. It's in the billions of dollars. I'm like, you might as well just pay out and say, you know what? We'll agree to disagree and we'll write that on paper. And uh, here's a check. And, uh, you know, but man, whew, I, th- I think it was in the in the billions. I think this is going to be really a tough situation for cosmetic companies going forward when you don't have to prove that an ingredient causes cancer. You can just kind of imply it in the way talc is. Um, and then you have to be held responsible. That's going to be pretty tough for uh, the next ingredient that's vilified without evidence, uh, without good evidence anyway. So uh, we'll see. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. How about we move on to our questioner? We're only going to cover one question, but she had a lot of questions that uh, a lot of people have also asked. So clever, Daniela, sticking all these questions into one. I love all it. Right. Very clever. Here is Daniela's question. Let me cue up the audio. Hi, guys. Um, I'm Daniela from Argentina. I've been listening to your show for about a month, and I've almost heard every single one of your podcasts. So thank you for all the information you put out. Um, I wanted to ask, um, what's the deal with vitamin C and niacinamide? I applied it this morning and turned out very, very red. It didn't hurt or anything, but my skin didn't like it. I don't know. I looked up and saw that my face was completely red. So that's the question. All the way from Argentina... Well, thank you, Daniela, for that and for all those questions. And I think it's so impressive in just a month, she is almost caught up. <laughs> well, I have to say this question came in a couple months ago, so hopefully she's got, she's got a few more months under her belt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, okay. Yeah, to be fair. So, Valerie, what do you think about vitamin C and niacinamide? Are you familiar with uh, people having reactions to those two blended together? Well, no, not really. These are two really great antioxidants that work well in conjunction with each other to provide skin benefits. Vitamin C is known as, uh, you know, we all know as an antioxidant, whether taken orally or applied topically. It it works really well to, to brighten the look of skin. And then niacinamide is an excellent antioxidant that actually uh, creates other antioxidants within the cells. And so it has this nice, uh, you know, I'll call it a regenerative effect in that sense. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's an excellent antioxidant. And these are really great, uh, both for clearing hyperpigmentation. And so it's my understanding they work synergistically together. I have not heard of those two in combination causing irritation. I've heard, you know, if you're doing a retinol and a vitamin C, 
or you're doing regular chemical peels and using a vitamin C and or vice versa, uh, you can get some irritation there. So my first instinct would be what else is going on in your routine? And maybe are you kind of overdoing it a little bit? I know that a lot of people are sensitive to L-ascorbic acid, uh, especially because it's not a very uh, stable form of vitamin C. And so that could be it as well. Uh, I'm not sure what product is being used, but uh, my instinct is that it's probably part of some attribute in the routine. And that's just a sign of your skin being sensitive uh, to the type of product. So I, I would look to restore the moisture barrier within your skin and um, just make sure you're finding out what's irritating you. Of course, if the product continues to make your skin red, even if it doesn't hurt, I would consider not using it. Yeah. Uh, but that's just me. Well, and even a product like that, it might be formulated at a, a pH that is too low for your skin. Uh, and a way to stabilize vitamin C is you keep the pH really low. That's one strategy. And so it could have just been formulated in a way. But it seems to me that the, the vitamin C is probably the causing the issue. Although, you know, it could also be something like phenoxyethanol, the preservative system in the thing is causing an effect like that. So there's a lot of chemicals that could be in the formula that might have that kind of effect. Or botanicals or fragrance or something like that. You, you bring up a great point with a pH because typically, especially with these, you know, L-ascorbic acid type products, you want the pH to be really low uh, to keep the vitamin C active and, and stable. So if your skin is not able to handle that extreme pH shift with the product, that could be uh, an issue and in, in your system is uh, disrupted. But, you know, my instinct is it's probably the overall product and, and maybe yeah. the vitamin C contributing and probably I would look at your routine. The best thing you could do in that instance is I would say probably ask a dermatologist so they could make the right recommendation for your skin type. Absolutely. Now let's check out the next part of her question. What's the difference between reactive and sensitive skin because my skin didn't really hurt or burn or itch? It was just red, but I didn't feel anything. All right, uh, this terms of reactive and sensitive skin. Well, the first thing you have to understand about terms like that, these aren't scientific terms, these are marketing terms. And so that means that the definition of what those things are, it's it's variable depending on which company is making it or the internet content producers are, are writing about it. They might mean different things when they use that term. The brand SkinCeuticals uses the term uh, reactive and sensitive skin interchangeably in their marketing material. Basically, they say that sensitive skin is skin that will react to exposure to various chemicals. Uh, reactions include redness, itchiness, dryness, etc. But then in the book, Beyond Soap by Dr. Sandy Scottnicki, uh, you're one of one of your uh, <laughs> one of your fans, right? Or you're a fan of hers, right? <laughs> well, I thought the book was very well written. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I th I do kind of remember you mentioning that book uh, on a previous episode. I did, yeah. Anyway, she tries to quantify whether someone has sensitive skin uh, or not, and by using she uses a questionnaire and a rating scale. It's also claimed that sensitive skin is a genetic trait, which makes skin more susceptible to having some reaction, whereas reactive skin is that which uh, has been exposed to environmental factors like skincare ingredient or environmental pollutions, and that 
causes contact allergies and causes other kinds of reactions. So basically, reactive skin uh, has been trained to react, whereas sensitive skin is just something you're born with. It's kind of the difference. I'm not sure the difference matters that much, but that's kind of in the marketplace, whether they're interchangeable or they mean slightly different things, they, they kind of have the same uh, ultimate impact. It reminds me of the Maybelline slogan where it's like, maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. It's like, maybe you're born with it. Maybe it's environmental pollution. I don't know. We'll have to rework the jingle out, you know? Uh, you will. Uh, now, what type of product was were they talking about Maybelline? Was it hair color? Was it lipstick? What? Well, the most famous Maybelline product is their mascara. Oh, so maybe she's In born the... with long lashes then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, it, it is. <laughs> I I very much love old beauty commercials and old. Be- I especially love old beauty ads from like the 1950s and 60s. They are so over the top sexist to our to our sensibilities now. It's just oh my so gosh. ridiculous. Uh, yeah, there's like there was the whole one about halitosis and how that was like an invented term, uh, getting people to feel bad about what their bath smells like. It's a whole thing. Oh my gosh. Well, Maybelline is famous for their uh, Great Lash Mascara, which is that hideous container that looks like a a 1980s watermelon with like, it's like pink and green. Oh. Um, Do they still sell that? Do they still sell that? They do. They do. Yeah. I actually (laughs) remember. Yeah. Anyway, the commercial is very effective. I I remember that that jingle today. Well, if you're listening, Maybelline people, we still love you. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't make your packaging any less hideous, but we still love you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oops. Sorry. I should be more polite. You know, Danielle had a few more questions. Let's go to the next one. Also, last question I wanted to know. um, Are products who have disclosed the percentages of their actives better than the ones who don't? I have a niacinamide serum, but... uh, I don't know the percentage, so maybe it was too high. And I don't know, maybe I should start buying a brand that discloses the percentages so I have more control over what I put on my skin. The same thing happened with uh, retinol. I contacted the company and they told me they couldn't tell me the percentage it was because privacy. So I stopped buying them because I want to know what I'm putting on my skin. So what's your take on that? Thank you for all you do and lots of love from Argentina. So what do you think about brands that put their actives on, Valerie? This is like what the ordinary kind of was big in this. But there's other brands now, right? Especially with the internet. You know, I feel like the trend obviously, well, I don't want to say obviously started. I feel like the trend started when brands started disclosing how much alpha hydroxy acids were in products. Sure. Because that's an important thing to know. At some point, you know, especially with salicylic acid, it's regulated up to a drug at 2%. And, you know, the difference between a 1% glycolic acid solution and a 20% could be a huge difference, right? Yeah, it could be. But then brands started getting into, well, let me tell you the percentages of my other ingredients. And, you know, with the exception of retinol, I would say you probably almost never need to know the percentage of ingredients in the product. So, Daniela, 
I totally agree. If a brand is advertising, they have retinol. They should be willing to disclose the percentage because that active stems from the pharmaceutical industry. And dose is really important because you could use a 0.25% retinol as a newbie. You don't want to jump into a one or 2% retinol uh, cream as a newbie because you're going to have a lot of stinging, irritation, redness, and maybe some yeah, skin challenges. Problem, yeah. So I think it's definitely very important. But otherwise, you know, how would a consumer know what a percentage means? Well, yeah, it certainly can be misleading. Uh, consumers have this idea that more is better. And so then it becomes a race to the top. Like, what's the biggest number we can put in there? And it makes it convinces consumers to buy our product. Because if you're in the store and you see something that says, oh, this has 1% niacinamide, and there's a product next to it that says, oh, this is 2% niacinamide, <laughs> I think a consumer is just going to go like, well, 2% is definitely better than 1%, right? Yeah, but they don't understand at 1%, it could totally be efficacious. And exactly. It's it, it's it, like you're putting on too much, right? 1% is the most you can use. <laughs> and I get asked all the time, how much ammonia does this product contain? What's the percent ammonia? And I always say, if I told you it had 1% or 4% free ammonia, not that it would have 4 that's very dangerous. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> but- what would that mean to you? How would that help you make a better decision when working with your guest in the chair? And and people say, you're right. I don't know how I'd use that number. And I say, well, what you really want to know is, is this, right? And I figure out what they're trying to get from it. So right. I think the whole percent claim is very damaging. It's well, very numbers... Dam- Numbers used in, used in advertising, there are a way to quantify a claim and give consumers a way to kind of compare between brands, but it's so very misleading because uh, those numbers don't always mean what the consumer might think it means. Exactly. And as a consumer, you aren't aware of the efficacy that a product can have at a certain percentage over another. Are there a lot of brands putting, you know, what I call a Kool-Aid packet amount of product ingredient into an Olympic-sized swimming pool? Sure. There's <laughs> yeah. sure. And calling it Kool-Aid, yeah, right. there's a lot of that going on. Tons of that. But it does a, this whole numbers game it really does a disservice to brands that are using ingredients at efficacious levels, but they're just not the highest level, right? And at yeah. some percentage, having an ingredient at a certain level can be bad for you. And right. I just, this is one of my least favorite trends in the world. And I've actually been wanting to talk about this for a long time. And I'm oh. very glad Daniela asked the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I would also agree that I don't think brands that disclose percentages are necessarily better. I mean, it might be interesting to know, but just because someone discloses a percentage on their ingredient package, that doesn't actually tell you everything. For example, some brands will claim that they have 70% hyaluronic acid. <laughs> yeah, no, what they really mean is they're using 70% of a 1% solution because you couldn't possibly use 70% hyaluronic acid. You would not have a liquid product. It would just be a solid mass, right? Yeah. So brands like that are just trying to trick you, you know? The other thing is, I, I've seen it with vitamin C. We're trying to have all these crazy percentages of vitamin C. 
And at what point is it just like a crazy amount of of ingredient and it's not really doing anything? How much can you, can your skin actually have? Um, how much can actually be bioavailable to the skin and your skin right. can use? Or with uh, alpha hydroxy acids, pH is super critical. So yeah, I could make a 10% glycolic acid hair uh, hair serum for you at a pH of seven, you're probably going to have zero active glycolic acid in it. Whereas I could use one at the right pH and have just the right amount of free glycolic. So exactly. Uh, numbers in advertising are all designed to impress you because people are impressed. It's, it gives you a nice, easy way to compare. But often the numbers also may look different, but they don't, there's no consumer perceivable difference. If, well, technically like the number 99% is smaller than 100%, you know, could you really tell the difference between those two things? Uh, It's not likely. So I think for the most part, number claims are, are simply gimmicks. So numbers shouldn't really lead to any extra trust in a brand from my vantage point. I would actually say, aside from retinol, it leads to distrust. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's, you you heard it first here from Valerie. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. No, I, I'm kidding. I, of course you should say that. I, yeah. I could say that if you want. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> That's right. Actually, I think numbers should lead to distrust in a brand, not more trust. But, you know, it's just a marketing tactic. Unfortunately, the marketing tactic works, and that's why brands continue to do these types of things is because they do marketing that actually works to get people to buy products, and that's just reality. No, the reality is I think they think it works. I don't think they're like, hey, let's make up this stuff. I think they really think products do this stuff. Right, right. But I I think as far as getting people to buy products, uh, numerical claims are pretty effective. I hate this world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that happy note, I think that brings us to the end of the show. But I love you guys. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to this episode. Yeah, everyone, as we mentioned, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. And if you want to be part of our Patreon event coming up on June 15th, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. If you get a chance, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That will help other people find the show, read the nice things you've written about us, and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. Yeah, and if you want to say a lot of nice things about Valerie coming on the show and how much she's so much better than Randy, uh, she loves to see that too. (laughs) And if you have a question... Just record it on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. We prefer only one question at a time, but as you can see, Daniela snuck in like three or four. (laughs) Nice work. And we totally don't mind it because we love these questions so much. Indeed. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at thebeautybrains2019. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains. And we have a Facebook page. Alrighty. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. Valerie, do you think it's weird that I just went out today and I bought cans of wet cat food for a a cat that's uh, an outdoor cat that I don't even own? 
You should have talked about that on the show. <laughs> We're still on the show. <laughs> oh my God. I stopped recording on mine, but oh my gosh. You're a porch cat dad. I walked out, I walked out this morning and Porch Kitty was there. And normally he runs away from me, but I saw him and he kind of gave me a look and I go, Hey, I got something for you. And I had an extra can of wet cat food. And I took it out and I dished it out onto a little paper plate and I put it out there and Porch Kitty came right up and he loves the wet canned food. <laughs> so you said, I'm going to go get some for you. It was only 24 cans. I figured that could last all summer, right? <laughs> that... Oh my gosh. Were they the little cans? <laughs> no, no. I I don't get the pâtés. I get the gravy, the Friskies gravy. They, okay. He like he likes I'm the like, gravy. That guy at the grocery store. <laughs> we were like, holy crap, their car is full. So is it weird that you're buying food for a cat you don't even own? I, I love it. Oh my <laughs> gosh. It's very fairy. <laughs> Indeed.